I rarely go too far. Yeah. Um, and I don't really want to, you know. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I think told we're guilty of doing it as well. I, I remember um, when we did a completely different version of Locomotive Breath, you know, in the Toll days. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it completely changed. I think we were just so fed up with playing it, we turned it on its head. And then four years down the line, we realized how awful it was. And I thought, you know what? The, the, there's one way that song needs to be presented, and we have to go back to it. It's uh, yeah, it, but you know, it's, it's it, it keeps us busy. It keeps the mind yeah. thriving. On this episode of Playtime, the legendary guitar player for Jethro Tull, Martin Barr. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Friday, June 9th, Martin Barr, the legendary guitar player for the Penny Peeps, and also Jethro Tull, performs a history of Jethro Tull at the Des Plaines Theater in Des Plaines, Illinois, a stone's throw north from Chicago. Martin Barr's website is martinbarr.com. Uh, so you're playing a set uh, for one night only in June, uh, and then you head east uh, to the East Coast for some dates, right? And then did I see that you'll be returning to the Arcata? in uh, in st charles in october right yes we are i mean um i'll have to go get, go and get the date sheet to find exactly where we are oh you know um, i'll, I'll but, post all that so you don't you don't have yeah to worry about, but yeah. um yeah, it, it, we're sort of dotted around michigan and illinois and massachusetts yeah. uh we, we've got a good sprinkling of dates and they're all in uh all in that northeast corner and you know so, so that they're not too close not too far Last time you were here, did you play the Arcata? Uh, oh. Or did you play that, that other theater in Aurora? Uh, I think it was the Arcada. Okay. Ooh, too many you, you, you know, I'm so confused with, with the last... Oh, God, I do imagine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes I've got no idea when 
things happened and where they happened. Uh, everything got turned on its head uh, and some things were so delayed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's... I, I almost would have to do a, a timeline. Yeah, we, we're not going to definitely. Yeah, and, I, I, I was going to ask you because I, um, I, I, I remember telling you that uh, I got a tour and I uh, of of the theater in Aurora by Steve Fawson, the uh, uh, mm -hmm. the bass player from Heart, uh, and he knew he knew chapter and first uh, verse about the about the building. But I just had a conversation with uh, with Leo Sayer. Uh, who was going to play the arcada and I, uh, mm -hmm. I I know um and so we we've talked offline a little bit I know that he really enjoyed um the arcada theater and and really yeah. loved the house so uh, and then John Ford Coley uh who I, I spoke with uh back in March uh played at the displays theater I, mean, I, I love theaters and, and I um I think they're beautiful places and you're lucky in the states that you've got them preserved and yeah uh, they're pretty well up and running and working um yeah. you've got to fight to keep them open here it's a real battle I think, I think it's great that they're being revived for for these classic rock shows. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but how are you, sir? How, how have you been? Well, but we're, I'm very good. Uh, I've been working very, very, very hard on on this new set we're going to play. Yeah. Probably four months of work, um, just you know, writing arrangements, figuring things out, and mm -hmm. and it sort of culminated in a week of of uh, dress rehearsal uh, in a big studio room with the band uh, and it and it's I'm relieved to say that everything I thought it would be um came to fruition it was uh, it, it was uh, there wasn't one failure i mean you, normally there's a as of 30 songs one will fail to work but i'm wow. pleased to say that they all sounded great and uh that the guys really enjoy playing it. You um you you keep pretty true to the original uh the original arrangements uh with with some tweaks here and there to to give it that Martin Bar flavor. Is that uh, yeah. is that what we, what we can expect for from the show? Yeah, yeah. You know, I still I still do that, and I don't I don't do it on purpose. Uh, I, I just think everything can be fine-tuned and yeah. sometimes we're 30 40 years down the line and you know that they're I wouldn't say updated but sometimes you know you start from scratch 
and you get a perception of how this song will sound really good, whether it will sound better than the original or not. I, I, I don't know. You know, that's for the fans to decide. But 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 I um, yes, sometimes I like to add. Just it, but there's nothing um, big in yeah, what I yeah. do. It's, it's fine tuning, and uh, and and I love sort of taking it apart, look, looking at the bones of what's there putting it back again and sometimes it goes back in a different way you know it's like a big uh, lego set uh but you know it's it, it'll if it works um that then i'm happy with it and, and uh, usually they do That's the strength of, we were just talking about Shakespeare before uh, before we began here a little bit, and, and that's the strength of, of solid material is, mm-hmm. is the, the malleability and the ability to, to take a fresh look at it, right? Yeah, yeah, I think they do that in ballet, you know, that they do it with uh, Tchaikovsky, you know, Swan yeah, Lake, yeah. and, and, you know, not, not everybody wants it. But it's it's it, it, it's great, you know. It's uh, if you're broad-minded mm-hmm. and, uh, and and sort of you know just have an open mind, it works fantastically well. And 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 why shouldn't you do? It? I, I just think the people, the the composers, probably would have welcomed interpretation because that's what they did themselves. You know, they're always interpreting yeah. the people's work. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a theater guy and I know theater best and so so a lot of those those stage directions were were either uh naturally omitted because because of of the evolving nature of the art form or or they were left off purposely for yeah. that for that very reason. Yeah. Oh, I I think so and 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 then you look at classical music and if everybody played um Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, exactly the same. Yeah, Uh, a dull world, world. But you know the fact that somebody's version is looked to be a lot better than somebody else's, or different. Or I I think that that's really vital because otherwise everything dies. And I've heard, I've heard a lot of the the arrangements of the old. Uh, or the or the earlier tall uh, stuff that you've done, and you mm. you kind of thread the line between between that that re envisioning and and trueness for those diehard fans that that yeah. want to hear the hits. Yeah, I, I I rarely go too far. Yeah, and, uh, 
and I don't really want to, you know, I don't want to, mm -hmm. I think Tull were guilty of doing it as well. I, I remember um, when we did a completely different version of locomotive breath, you know, in the Tull days, mm -hmm. and um, it, it completely changed. I think we were just so fed up with playing it, we yeah. turned it on its head, and then four years down the line, we realised how awful it was. And I thought, you know what, the, the, there's one way that song needs to be, presented and we had to go back to it it's uh, yeah it, but you know it's it's it, it keeps us busy it keeps the mind yeah. thriving and you're the artist man um so if anybody gets to reinterpret or or take a take a fresh uh, a fresh look at, at work it should be the artist there's so th there are a couple questions i wanted to ask you and then i'd love to get into a little bit of the history um about Martin Barr as uh as you come to to Jethro Tull if that's all right yeah so I was so I was going to start with Beethoven you mentioned uh but let me go here first um uh, this week I I got to speak with two of my favorite artists Frank Aral from Poydog Pondering uh and you um you and I have spoken I think this is our fourth conversation um our, our second long conversation uh, yeah. I've spoken with thousands of artists, Martin, and newsmakers on three different radio shows, a television show, and this program. And uh, I was nervous this week. Uh, and I'm wondering, for all the shows and halls that Martin Barr has played, does that still happen to you? Are you ever trepidatious or nervous um, about... No, in a, in, in a very positive way. Okay. I think... That, that if, if you're not and you're blase and it becomes, you know, a run-of-the-mill pedantic yeah. job that you do, that, yeah. that then that's not good. It wouldn't work for me. No, I, I'm, I'm always um, in anticipation. It's a nervous anticipation. Mm -hmm. It's a very positive one. So I'm, I'm never... I mean, I, I, the preparation I do is, is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've got pages and pages and pages of arrangements uh I've, I've i've run this show myself probably every day for three months and you know it's still not perfect it mm -hmm. never will be but, but uh, um if you're a perfectionist and i guess i am that then it's like the carrot in front of the donkey you you never <laughs> reach it and 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 for good reason you, you don't want to because perfection doesn't exist it's virtual oh, yeah. Uh, yeah because no, nobody and nothing is perfect but yeah I, I i i have a lot of fun and you know i i don't know every audience is a new audience you know i i, I want a happy noisy satisfied <laughs> audiences and uh and i, I never um have expectations i, I think every night i'm fighting yeah, uh, to win the crowd, and, yeah. and, I, and I enjoy that. You know, I, I, I'm, it's a very, very satisfying thing when it works, and uh, and thankfully, it usually does. Walking through forests of Scoff at the monkeys who live in that 
dark tent Down by the water hole Drunk every Friday Eating their nuts Saving their raisins for Sunday Lions and tigers Who wait in the shadows They're fast but they're lazy And sleep in green I think uh, I think in the in the era of uh, of artificial intelligence, those uh, those human imperfections might become the greatest blessings in uh, in mm. in our art. Those those human uh, those human yeah. characteristics and and personalities um, yeah. that uh, that can only happen uh, through through imperfection, right? Yeah, well, I think the fact that the people who are actually um, working on AI are scared of it, and, and I think, <laughs> yeah. I think the same. You know that that they're producing something that that will uh, supersede ev everybody and everything, mm -hmm. and will all become um, sort of second class citizens. And uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 a worrying thought well you know so so many people generations have come along now in which computers uh and and artificial intelligence as it was evolving uh mm. is ha, was ubiquitous in their lives uh yeah. some of us you and me and um grew up grew up at a time when before computers or before computers yeah. were were uh ubiquitous and this this phrase keeps coming back to me in regards to this garbage in garbage out <laughs> yeah that's a famous saying yeah i mean i'm, I'm a big fan of uh computers and the power they have mm -hmm. just as a, a search tool and uh it, it's in, incredible and and really you, you you're replacing a very uh um vulnerable parts of society where if you wanted a piece of information it took you hours to get it yeah you had to go to a library and yeah spend all yeah. day looking it up yeah yeah and then you you, you might only have one take on it like, yeah. i think it's amazing i mean I, i'm constantly um exploring uh and and, and even you know down to uh, we have got a big american fridge yeah and uh the um the power, um, whatever you call it, <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, control, right, right, plate. As I forget the right word for it, failed, and um, uh, th this guy was taking like two months to fix it. Oh, I geez. went online, I found one. It got delivered the next day, and and then I went on YouTube, and and I found found out how to install it, <laughs> and, and and I. I saved myself two months waiting for some repair guy to do it for me. It was yeah. brilliant. And, you know, um, something goes wrong with your car. You you, you can find out how to fix it. It's, yeah. Uh, I, I think it takes the mystery out of a world that where mystery isn't always a, a good thing. You know, it's, <laughs> I think, you know, in, in music as well, you know, that people think it's special, but it, it should be for everybody. There should be no mystery to it. 
I think it should be, especially when it comes to a refrigerator full of food. Well, that that was that was one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> I, I felt on top of the world. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, so so you're also for hire for uh, um, for for repair for you uh, for refrigerators. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I quite like doing odd jobs. I, I don't like to feel that. Um, you know that, that I would be useless in a situation <laughs> where where everybody had to look after themselves. Um, I, mean, I wouldn't be very good, but but I, I'd hate to be totally uh, naive. Uh, it, it's I don't, it's just me, I, and I love so many things. You know, I, I, there's so many things in life that I, that I want to know about. Yeah, and, uh, I never did that. I never went to. You know, I quit university, um, and and I stopped learning every everything but music um, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But I read, and and I love reading. I love history. I love geography, um, and that's information. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry for information. I, I, I quite envy people well, who have a degree in something special. My uh, my new book, which is uh, I said earlier, is almost uh, almost completed. Um, I I like to think of it as the history of everything. Um, yeah, but it's it's called the history of of light for the artist, and mm. it talks about the ascending steps of culture in uh, in our society and how it, how it's driven human human cultural, political, and and even physical evolution. And it's uh, I, I I would love I would love to get uh, get your thoughts on it at uh, at some point before I rush it off to uh, to an agent. But anyways, uh, so I also had a conversation with uh, the great Chris Impelitari. A little cocky, I thought I'd impress him with a bit of uh, a bit of history of guitar shredding, and I invoked Django Reinhardt, uh, and he mentioned this. And I know you're a fan of classical music. He brought up the earliest examples of shredding that he knew was, and and uh, and we talked about this for a bit. Rondo Capriccio, uh, "Rage Over a Lost Penny," uh, the great uh, piano piece by Beethoven. grew up on uh in a musical household um uh, not really i mean uh, my granddad was a musician right uh, my father wasn't able to be you know he, he um mm-hmm. financial circumstances mm-hmm. um sent him in a different he, he was in a factory at a very early age because mm. uh, his parents 
needed him to work. So he wanted to be a clarinetist and he was never able to. Oh. So he supported me and he loved big band jazz. Uh, and I mean, at, at the time when I started music, that I didn't, I wasn't into that sort of music, but mm -hmm. but now I am. <laughs> uh, so he would have been pleased. But uh, yeah, he, 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 all my family love music. Uh, my wife, my kids, and, and and that's that's the same thing. You know, yeah. I, I I love music. I'm, I'm able to play a bit, uh, but but I chose to do that for a living rather than do something like my kids do or yeah. my parents. It's, so, it's a monk choice. So, so did you did you come to classical music later in life? Uh, yeah, um, I can tell you the very first time. I, I, I like playing. I had flute lessons with the uh -huh. uh, principal flautist of the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. And and you used to play clarinet or uh, yeah, uh, clarinet I've, or saxophone. I've got a bass clarinet. But that's I'm, right. That's right. I, I can I can say I'm a flute player, but I can't say I'm a clarinet is um i'm way and i played saxophone but uh, not good enough to put it on my resume but um <laughs> resume sorry uh I, I learned the flute playing simple classical pieces and that sort of kindled an interest but um it was gentle giant we, we were touring with them mm -hmm. and, um, the, the the two brothers uh phil but that the, they were they were music teachers or one of them was and 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 they were really very intelligent people and we're on a plane one of the days we go to the next gig and um and he he passed me this cassette and he said uh you'll you'll shed a tear i'm going oh okay right you know what's he on about and it was uh enigma variations uh-huh and and that 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 triggered an interest in <laughs> it just blossomed. Wow! It's uh, so many other discoveries, and of course, you know, Nimrod's still one of my favourite pieces of music. It's it's very very well known. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, and it just spread from there. And, and I just love melody. I love construction, harmonisation, uh, dynamics, space. Counterpoint. Yeah. I think classical music has, yeah. but music doesn't necessarily have. And, yeah. and I, I just wallow in it. Any particular favourites? Um, well, well Elgar's my favourite. Uh, maybe Symphony Number no. One would be uh -huh. my, my very, very favourite piece of music. But then Mozart, clarinet, 
um, concerto. Yeah. Uh, so much of Mozart, uh, Handel, Bach, Beethoven, um, Brahms, uh, violin concerto, Brooks, violin mm -hmm. concerto, Brahms Symphony Number no. Four. Mm -hmm. uh, th th these are those would be amongst my favourites. And uh, Elgar cello concerto, especially with Jacqueline Dupre, it's it's just beautiful. And and about two months ago, I was having a cup of coffee in this sort of hippie bookshop, uh, coffee shop, and they had some books for sale, something like a two dollars each. Uh -huh. And there was a book on Elgar, and and I picked it up, and, and I thought, you know, I'm such a big fan of his music, and I yeah. know nothing about his life, or very little, so I, I bought it thinking I'd probably read a few odd pages and uh, go in my library, but I, I read it from cover to cover, because he had an amazing life, and, and he the, I, the thing that really hit me was how he struggled um, financially to be a, a musician. He really struggled, even when he was at the top of his game, if you like. He was writing coronation music, pomp and circumstance. Um, he had great success. Um, but of course, in, in his day, they made money from sheet music. Right. But, but, you know, a tiny bit of money from live concerts, but it was sheet music. It's amazing. Um, it, it, what incredible life. Enigma, did did it bring you to tears? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, and it has many times. 
because it's just a beautiful moving piece of music and mm -hmm. uh, it, in some ways I feel a bit um, protective. Yeah. I'd like to think that not many people know it but the fact they use it in sort of very um, uh, romantic movies, I mean they use it as a tool to create <laughs> to create that atmosphere and I'm probably, you know, I, I'm just a bit sort of jealous that I think I don't want many people to know about it because it's so <laughs> special. Um, th that's that's called duende. Um, my oh, yeah. my wife was a uh, uh, was a uh, a competitive Latin dancer uh, oh, yeah. when we met, and yeah. so so I was very and and I I just had this conversation with uh, mm. uh, with Frank Aral from Point Dog Pondering about about that very thing about that upwelling of emotion and mm. so do, do you find that a lot in uh in music of all kinds oh yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely uh more more and more and uh um you talk about shredding well we me and my wife went to um a flamenco group yeah close to us never heard of them but that that they it just said on the poster after their successful first trip to Exeter, Devon, that they were making a big return. And uh, we got the last two tickets completely sold out, 500 people. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I'm no flamenco. And, and it was the, the main person was really young, really young guy um, playing guitar, uh, incredibly played three or four pieces completely on his own on the stage uh -huh. and then um some singers joined him and then a dancer uh and then a um, percussionist and then a, a second guitar player but the, the whole show from the singing the dancing it, it was a most incredible collection of emotion coming off that stuff. i mean it, that they that you talk about a standing ovation <laughs> uh, you know that they're, they're sort of overrated, but but in this case, and and I rarely do it. Everybody stands up and go, oh, okay, yeah, it was good, but yeah, I'm still sat down. Yeah. Everybody got on their feet because these people had given so much. So it was a whole the whole night was so intense and incredible, and and he shredded that guitar. If you want to <laughs> use that adjective, it, it, he was phenomenal. people and and i know this through my wife uh even though i i can't dance to save my life but 
um, you know that 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 community is so impassioned uh, yes. by by that by that culture. Um, yeah. it, it's it's more than it's more than a dance. It it yeah, truly absolutely. is a, a culture. Yeah. It's a lifetime of and 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 the, the interesting thing was that they're all on a par. So that this beautiful woman dancing. Yeah was the equal of the guitarist. And, and I imagine that her talent and what she'd gone through to get to her standard was the same. I don't think it was any difference at all. And the singing, that, that they, they all had, you had the feeling that, that they'd lived a life of what they did. And, and it showed, it, it, it was quite humbling. That's brilliant. Well, yeah. That, uh, okay, so how about... Um... We we delve a little bit into a bit of and the trains going by here. Let's uh, let's delve <laughs> a little bit into uh, Martin Barr's history as it pertains to the reason for your upcoming show at the Displays Theater. Uh, mm -hmm. The history of Jethro Tull. Uh, we spoke a little bit about about your dad. He bought you some some jazz blues records, uh, Wes Montgomery yeah. and mm -hmm. Barney Kessel, uh, with uh, who who has my favorite song in that whole genre, Salute Charlie Christian. any of that art uh, at the um, time no none of it yeah yeah it. i wanted to play um i wanted to play uh, eddie cochran buddy holly okay uh, uh, <laughs> i wasn't interested okay uh, that's not why i i bought a guitar because uh -huh. me, me and all my mates were um listening to the american music coming across the yep. atlantic and and uh that we were young and uh like kids today, I, I, you know, I'm I'm like my dad was. Yeah, I listen to yeah. The music they're listening to, and I despair. I have no connection with it at all. Uh, so I'm sure they'll prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> but that but, was sort of yeah, that, it, yeah. That that was sort of the skiffle era era, and yeah. and the, uh, the the very early Beatles. Yeah, I mean, I I, I did enjoy I, I, I tell a bit of a lie because I, I did listen to the albums uh-huh i like kenny burrell uh, i like yeah. jimmy smith um um uh, a lot of them don't you know, frank wes mm -hmm. uh roland kirk wow so many I, I i did enjoy um the sound and and but i i, I wanted melody yeah and um, so um uh 
so, what, so that it's mainstream jazz up I enjoyed, but what, uh, anything anything crazy I didn't like. Was was there a guitarist that you heard uh, and thought that's the sound I'm after, or that's the sound I want? Um, well, <laughs> it, yeah, uh, Hank Marvin, but um, okay, that, that, that's probably in the first six months of me being a musician, but because uh -huh. uh, everybody wanted to be Hank Marvin because, <laughs> you know, he, he was the guy. anybody else that so there wasn't much of a choice yeah. and even Dwayne Eddy had that sound you know the twangs the thang um, but we, we, we were naive we didn't know how to produce a guitar sound uh, and then when Hendrix and Clapton started emulating the, the blues greats and getting um, uh, sustained mm -hmm. the, the whole world changed the whole you know that yeah. no played loud no, nobody got sustained that the amps didn't do it. we didn't understand it um and then the, the, the blues boom changed everybody yeah 1968 really uh 68 you seem to find that sound um or that emerging sound with uh with with a song helen doesn't care from uh from the penny peeps right <laughs> I've, I've listened to some of that stuff and uh, yeah um yeah we, we were all experimenting uh, you know, yeah I'd, yeah nobody knew how to do it and um clapton did uh, mm -hmm. and then we just we listened to the kings you know bb king uh freddie king albert king uh, and had no idea how, how they got that sound yeah. and 
and it, you know it, it it was simple pentatonic and and maybe at first you sort of poo poo it mm -hmm. uh, but then you realize that the note placement and the feel and the emotion behind those that simplicity was so complex and and, and nobody could do it n none of the blues guitar players in england could touch them other than clapton and uh, peter green there's maybe you know a handful that, that really understood it but most of the guys were, were kidding themselves so it turned me off it you know i didn't want to be mm -hmm. i didn't want to learn albert king licks because everybody around me was playing them really badly <laughs> and it put me off so i thought well you know that, that, that uh, it's great let leave it alone you know you, you that the, they've got it they've perfected it just sort of uh, be influenced by it or inspired by it, but don't copy it because you ain't going to get anywhere. You uh, so that that band became Get Seventy, um, and yes. then you were so you were you were playing sets uh, alongside the original or the the first incarnation of of Jethro Tull. Mm -hmm. when when you got a chance to uh to audition for the band mm. was was that a destination where you're like hey uh jethro tall is where i want to be mm. or was it something else and then it just became a home to you no no i i, I knew that job was mine yeah and, and i can't explain why but but when i first saw them that, that they were doing everything I ever wanted. Uh-huh. The, the flute was how I wanted to play. The guitar player was great. The, the music was exciting. Uh, it, it just thrilled me. I don't think that, that that was part of the equation. It, it was just that their attitude, you know, they're such great stage presence. Yeah. Great, um, great performance. Um, was Ian Anderson's stage presence as strong as it as it would would prove later on? In no. Those, yeah. Yeah. No. The, the people went to see Mick. Mick okay. was the star of the show. Okay. Uh, he really was. And, and their big number was Cat Squirrel.
Ben Ian was a sort of goofy singer who, who uh, you know, sort of messing around and yeah. looked like he was a, a madman. And, uh, you know, I mean, he, obviously it was important what he mm -hmm. did, but I think, you know, he, musically, he wasn't in the same league. Yeah. He was playing at that, definitely at that stage. Uh, you know, it's very simplistic. And, and and the sound was great, you know. In fact, only me and Ian were playing flute in the Roland Kirk style uh -huh. in, in the UK uh, because it was like an electric guitar. I mean, I played it the same way. I played electric guitar, and Ian played it because um, he he realised early on he wasn't going to be a superstar guitar player, but he might be a superstar flute player. I mean, Ian uh, knew as it turned out. <laughs> Uh, ten years before he did it, yeah, what, he, he he was so far-reaching. Would would I be wrong? It so so that first album sort of feels like this. It, it feels like Mick and Ian were were of of kind of different worlds, struggling to be inside the same body. Um, yeah, well, they were pulling in different directions. Yes, but Mick was pulling the crowd. Mick was pure blues. Ian yeah. didn't want to play the blues, same as me. Uh, and and Ian, I, you know, I guess um, wanted to be the star of the show. He needed mm -hmm. because he wanted to write his songs, mm -hmm. play his music. Um, so yeah, that that it, it was destined to fail yeah. because Mick didn't want to go where Ian wanted to go, and vice versa. So I stepped in and and, and had a you know. I had no baggage, you know. I just said, right, you know, I, I, I play guitar, yeah. and I play flute, so I understand both instruments a bit, and uh, and and I and I'm ready to go wherever, wherever we're going <laughs> to, wherever you want to lead us. And yeah, I, I was I was so excited. And I think so, I think you were you were probably um, you were probably of of the mind to be. Uh, to be part of a team as opposed to uh, a competing personality, which I think, which I think made um, made that first album mm. maybe a little bit unfocused. Yeah, you know, that, we all enjoyed what we were doing. And, yeah, yeah, and, and we, it was naive, but but you know, I, I remember that the guys I'm playing in, doing solos in the studio, and and they're really behind me 100%. Yeah. it wasn't like oh you know they're gonna have a cup of coffee while you're going to do your guitar <laughs> solo but you know all of them were part of it uh -huh. it, it, it was a really exciting time because it because we're all finding our feet but 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 I, I was excited about what clive was doing clive was excited about what glenn was doing it it, it was a real oh. team but that that first that first audition didn't go well did it no, but yeah, it, it, it was um, it was more technically. Yeah, I, I I didn't have a the right guitar. I had to borrow one eventually. Uh, it was the guitar I had was feeding back and screaming and and playing in front of a room full of guitar players. Yeah, it wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> but they Still, saw they saw something in you to to give you a second audition, right? Well. It was me who did it, you know. Okay. I, I just thought, you know, um, if I had done my best and not got it, yeah. I could have accepted that. But but I knew I had a lot more in me, yeah. and 
um, and I, I, I felt I hadn't given it a good shot. Mm -hmm. So something made me call Ian up to see how it was going, and I didn't know what I, I was going to. I wasn't expecting anything particularly, but he said, "Oh, by coincidence, it's not working out with Tony Ioni." I said, "Well, look, I really would like another go. I didn't play well. The guitar I had wasn't the right instrument." um the environment was horrible uh -huh. uh, and and he said yeah sure and and that's the, the second time round was the opposite but I, you like, know i've i've talked to so many so many band members um who have either either brought somebody in or or have joined a joined an organization and and there's 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 a, symbi a symbiosis that's necessary um for for that for that algorithm to, algorithm to work right mm. and and yeah. tony ioni went off to uh to play with black sabbath mm. and uh and, and you were uh as it turns out the perfect fit for jethro tall well i i, I didn't have any preconception and and, <clears throat> and i didn't realize that but yeah. um and whether Ian saw that or not, I don't know. I mean, a, a conversation I haven't had with him, but yeah, I mean, no, nobody knew each other. And I was a bit in awe of being in one of the the, the biggest bands in the UK. So, you know, I, I was scared then, nerve, really nervous. Um, so, but, but because then, everything changed yeah, together, you know, it wasn't the music changed. Yeah. So I was being auditioned, but so was Ian's music being auditioned. And the change of direction was being auditioned, and people didn't particularly like it. Mm -hmm. It took a, a few weeks for people to sort of uh, decide that yeah, okay, that this is good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you know, we've lost the blues band, but we've got something else <laughs> in its place that works. So it, it it was you know all our necks were on the line. Yeah, and and that that was that's what made it great because. I feel like I've always been a part of it. And you can say, well, the first album was This Was. But to me, that that was the Jethro Tull blues band. Right, right. Jethro Tull wasn't wasn't the same um the same concept at all. So testing right was was stand up what was it the nervousness and the anxiety that 
that you guys uh, that you guys maybe all felt or that hunger that you all felt that made stand up such a strong and uh, cohesive album. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember, but 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 the yeah. it was so exciting to record. Yeah. You know, every track was a challenge, but and for that for that time in uh -huh. um, 60, 69, um, it, it it was groundbreaking. You know, but people weren't writing songs and playing riffs and doing things like that. N nobody was doing it, so. Yeah. We were going into unknown territory, but it, it, it was we we had a, a great fun, yeah, yeah, really good fun, and we we really liked what we were doing. We really believed in it. Mm -hmm. It was a total commitment, and it could have fallen completely on its face. So we we talked about before about uh, collaborative management uh, for for a band leader, and and Ian was always. Uh, was always the, I guess, the undisputed leader of uh, of yeah. of the band, right? So you hit the ground running on stand up with your guitar open. Uh, your your guitar opens the album with uh, "New Day Yesterday." Um, mm -hmm. Did did you have much input in in the guitar track or the or the um, writing of the guitar part, or was that all Ian? How All did that the work? songs were the guitar parts because there's no keyboards. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, but then the solos were very much part of the music. So you know, like in we used to know the solos, uh, um, you know, sort of crazy wah wah stuff with wrong notes in. But all very uh, structured. Yeah, it, it became part of the music. Um, so yes and no. Um, no, I had didn't write any songs at all but, but um the fact that I was a, a, a part of it we're all a big part of it of course um, yeah, we, 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 it, it, there was no question of territorial rights or ownership yeah, yeah. We, we're all in there doing our job and, and and nobody was treading on anybody's toes there's room for all of us to play a lot of music and um um, was there a certain security in in Ian uh, being being that undisputed um, band leader? No, it, it, it was a natural. He, he knew uh -huh. what he wanted to do. Uh -huh. He was writing the music, and uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be the band leader. Neither did Glenn or Clive. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and then I think you know the, the record company and the agency nurtured his image. Obviously, sure. yeah, big, big yeah. time, and and I, and I think, and he was so demonstrative on stage. That's the, yeah, I mean, that's it, kind it, of there was yeah. the center, the brand. It would have been a quite a bland, um, not ordinary, but you know, it, it would have been a different beast. And yeah, it would have just be very much uh, another prog band in the making. Yeah, I mean, his on-stage personality was huge, mm -hmm. huge, huge part of the success.
carried it through. Yeah. You know, you, you can have somebody crazy like a, a tiny Tim, or uh, you know, can't think of anybody else, but you know, something with a big, big image. Yeah. But okay, that gets you that gets your attention. Yeah. Now, what have you got? And and if you don't have much, that then it doesn't last. You know, you go, oh yeah, yeah. Um, but no, 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 nobody. I think the where it started rubbing was when when the record company that made the image um, more important than it should have been. So it became um, overbearing. Mm -hmm. it, it was the guy on one leg with a flute, uh, and that was Jethro Tull. And yeah. that's why the whole era of, uh, yeah, Jethro Tull is actually the name of a band, not of the guy playing the flute. Indeed. And, uh, it, it was always called Mr. Tull and... Hey, where's Jethro? It, it it was quite annoying, uh, and and it, and the joke fell flat very quickly. <laughs> but then but, people, you know, educated that, that they came to shows and realised it, it it was uh, more than that. Yeah, yeah, but but then, as you said, at the end of the day, it's it's up to the individual musicians uh, to bring it right. Yeah, but you don't want four people going crazy. I mean, you have some bands. Of course, like, of course. Well, I'm, I'm know, thinking, I'm thinking of songs like upstaging uh, each other. Yeah, and, I mean, we, it did get to the point where we were all jumping about like lunatics. Mm -hmm. but the music suffered, and you know, we, we started listening to um, recordings of the show, mm -hmm. and we realised that you know. You can jump about singing, but you can't jump about the way we were playing <laughs> guitars and basses because it sounded it wasn't sounding good. Yeah. So we had to sort of reassess what we were doing, uh, but you know, it's a journey you make, and um, it, it became very theatrical. Then mm -hmm. it became very musical. Then it then there was a mixture. It was always push and pull between music and theatre. Yeah, and there's a, a compromise um, all the time. Well, the reason I ask that is because uh, Fat Man opens, and and I know I know how passionate you are about the mandolin, and mm. Fat Man opens with this Middle Eastern flavored mandolin. Did, did I hear steel guitar under that? Be a fat man. People would think that I was just good fun. Would rather be a thin man. I am so glad to go on being one. Too much to carry around with you. No chance of finding a Okay. Uh, no, I've I've used. Uh, I've got to think about that. 
Um, but see, we, we've played Fat Man on stage, but it's, it's mandolin, yeah. I play flute. Um, no, there's not a steel guitar on the record, it's mm-hmm. just mandolin and uh, flute, yeah. to ignore all that Hate to admit to myself I thought my problems came from being fat Won't waste my time feeling sorry for him I see the other side of being thin Rollers both Because you, you play that so vibrant and uh, and aggressively that um, that I think that just underscores that even even if if the the notes and melodies are written for you um, that at some point um, you're you're going to be there in in that piece of music. Yeah, well, it, it's. It, it... The, the music lends it's so strong that yeah. it lends itself to a lot of interpretation. So, I mean, I've done Fat Man as a, a piece of rock music, and uh, and it really worked. Uh, um, uh, essentially, a good song c- can give you a lot um, because that you know the strength in the melody, the chord structure, uh-huh. uh, gives you the building blocks to to do something with it, um, and that's what i've always done occasionally yeah we're going to march through a couple of uh, a couple of years of jethro tell here uh not too many but uh, but just to give people uh a great flavor of the history uh of the band 1970 uh the band released benefit um it opens strongly uh with this song with you there to help me darker album for the for the band than stand up um do you think the album was a bit over people's heads including including critics is that why it it failed kind of to achieve the desired impact it wasn't the aim 
Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I, I think yeah. it was a stronger version of Stand Up. Yeah, um, oh, I agree. Totally agree. Better playing and, and still great songs. But yeah. I, I, I think it was a really strong album. Yeah. I think that, that told people that, you know, we weren't a one-trick pony and, uh, you know, it was more in the tank. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it's one of my favourite albums. You know, when we went in to record it, 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 it was a, a really strong, positive atmosphere doing yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I, can't, I, I can't fault it. You, you guys seem to no, I and and I don't, I don't mean to to give that impression. You guys seem to learn no, some, no. some, uh, some, some sort of critical marketing skills, uh, teacher, which later later emerged as the hit off the album was yeah. originally released as the B side to Witch's Promise, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but the market in England was different. You know, it was um, yeah, top twenty yeah. Uh, pop. You know, uh -huh. but, uh, there are lots of people like Cream and Hendrix and uh, Fleetwood Mac were getting in the charts and yeah. it was sort of a crossover market so Teacher Wouldn't Have Worked was a bit too mainstream rock version is is very different from the yeah, uh, from the US yeah. release. Uh -huh. What was the motivation or the discussion about re-recording that song for the two separate markets? Uh, I've got no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot remember. I don't know. I've got no idea. Okay. Okay. It's no. it's interesting to hear hear both of them side by side, but a, a great song either um, either way. And then uh, 1971, we all know that one. Uh, Aqualung was released, a seminal mm. work from Jethro Tull. Essentially, uh, you're Led Zeppelin Four, right? Which uh, mm. uh, originally found mixed reviews from the critics, and we'll talk about we'll talk about the critics here in in a bit. But any enduring memories from the recording of of that album? <laughs>
Um, well, yeah, it was a difficult album to make. I think we had a lot of pressure on us. Yeah. Uh, we had two big albums. We were doing big tours in America. Uh, the next album had to take <laughs> us a step forward. Yeah. And, and uh, it was asking a lot of anybody. So, um, and you took it a leap forward. Our lifestyle had changed, so we were under the same sort of regime um, of, of work ethic. Um, it was difficult, to, it, it, you know, beset with problems, yeah. um, technical problems, playing problems. Um, but you know, again, the, the songs push through, and, um, and 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 sometimes it proves that. You know, even when there's negative vibes going on in a studio, you can turn them into something good. Um, and, you know, the albums that we thought were, were, were going to be amazing and they were great fun turned out to be not so popular. You know, it didn't have, they didn't have an edge. Mm -hmm. And like had a sort of angry, a bit of an anger and angst, um, had an edge to it and, and that shows. nature that that album would hold when you when you recorded or when you mixed it uh when, yeah. when you when you went back and, and listened to it and the strength of that album man no no it, really it, it was a relief to finish it okay um, um no i mean but we had no presumption ever yeah. of anything we ever did there was no presumption wow you know, this is going to be amazing uh, no, it's a volatile market. It, it, it was yeah. it has been since we've been around. It's uh... especially then, 1971 and 1972 uh, saw saw an incredible uh, number of truly classic albums. Yeah, well, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of competition. Um, bands, bands. You know, the, the I think bands started finding that. They're all fighting for the same audience, yeah. And the same sales, yeah. It was super competitive. Carrie Kendall and I did uh, when we were doing the radio show. We did we did a a piece on uh, nineteen seventy seventy one and how that that year changed in rock music. And there were so many there were so many divergent styles of music that came out their own flavor that came out of out of sort of this. 60s milieu where where people weren't you know were, were sort of 
I, I guess there was there was more social consciousness and it was more more settled as opposed to the anger and angst of the 60s that um that allowed for for those for that stronger focus on creativity am i kind of overthinking that a little bit uh, you, you know there's a lot of pretension and yeah, yeah. certainly by the time we were doing thick as a brick it, it was we were mocking that the pretentious rock star <laughs> bands that were going uh -huh. taking themselves ridiculously seriously i mean we, we, we just laughed at it all and and we 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 wanted to laugh at ourselves and really don't mind if you sit this one out my words but a whisper deafness a shout I may make you feel, but I can't make you think Your sperm's in the gutter, your love's in the sink So your ride sails over the fields And you make all your animal deals And your wise men don't know how it Thick as a brick And the sandcastle virtues Are all swept away In the tidal destruction We could never take ourselves that seriously Yeah uh, and, and, and amazingly people picked up on it and they thought yeah you're right you know that there's there's a there's a there's a market for all the sort of tight pants and long hair and screaming <laughs> guitar solos and screaming voices but huh. uh, it's nice to have something different as well going going along yeah uh, it's um we, we we were very isolated uh, and we always were mm -hmm. In uh, in our style, and um, so we were very niche in 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 the music industry. That there was nobody compatible, and and that worked for us. You know, we, we there was competition, but yet there wasn't, <laughs> and maybe yeah. nobody wanted yeah. to do what we were doing. But we were taking risks, and, and other people weren't. You know, was, they were going formula, and and, and we, we were you know, look, looking ahead of, of that era into the 70s and, and the 80s we, we were taking big steps to, to just to keep things fresh and moving along and just taking music wherever it led us yeah are you are you surprised that that album uh held up as well as it as it does uh to this day that I'm, I'm i'm thinking I, I, of songs I, like my my god Resurrected from the grave, from 
god of nothing If that's all that you can see You are the god of everything He's inside you and me upon him gently and don't call on him to save me Answers like I don't analyze things okay. the way that you might, or um, yeah, yeah, listening as a listener. Um, yeah. but all I can say is when I went to do the Apollo show and, and play it from beginning to end, mm-hmm. it, it was a very strong album to do. I mean, not oh, yeah. most albums have a, a stinker or something you know <laughs> that you want to avoid. But you know, it, it, it works. Every track worked. Yeah. So I, I have huge respect for it. But I, I've, I've never analyzed stuff like that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not my job. I'll end it here, and then I'm I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple quick uh, questions for a couple of uh, a, a couple of friends uh, and musicians that I've spoken with, uh, young musicians uh, about about some lessons learned in marketing. Let me let me ask this. You said that you were just relieved to be done with the album when i finish when i finish writing writing a novel or a, or a book um i am uh first i'm i'm heartbroken because i'm saying goodbye to characters that i've spent i spent a year or two or three or four years with and and then i'm i know i'm never going to see them again right i'm never going to follow their journey again um and then and then i'm just exhausted uh, is is that how is that how it was after especially uh, Aqualon? No, no, because every album yeah. was the catalyst for a, a whole string of tours. Yeah, so, so you mixed it, uh, you, you planned the tours, mm-hmm. release, and then you're promoting it. It no, the, there was no breathing space. And and the one fed the other. Yeah, the you guys were cranking them out, man. 
to have fed the next album. Yeah. It was a con continuous cycle. Yeah, year after year. Um, so sometimes with within a, in the course of a year, um, I think uh, was it thick as a brick was uh, maybe ten or eleven months after after Aqualung, right? Oh, I, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I looked at we, we were re releasing an album a year, yeah, all for a long time. I mean, I, I was looking at it. I think when I was doing the. 50 years of tell of the release dates. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy. We, we, we just worked 12 months of the year, every year. So uh, 74, that creative powerhouse continues uh, year after year. Uh, but that year it was War Child, uh, which spawned uh, two iconic singles, Skating Away on, uh, on the Thin Ice of a New Day, and bungle in the jungle and again the critics hated it um but on on that particular album uh they seem to have dragged down the sale uh with uh, sales with with critical voices right um yeah i mean it wasn't the strongest of album yeah, yeah. in retrospect but uh you know but we, we never it's impossible it's, impossible to be that consistent you, you've yeah. got to have that, that don't perform as well uh, you've got to have highs and lows um, I think every artist on the planet has gone through that Meanwhile back in the year one When you belong to no one You didn't stand a chance son If your pants were on Cause you were bred for humanity And sold to society One day you'll wake up in the present day A million generations removed from expectations of a being who you really want to be Skating away Skating away Skating away On the thin ice of a new day But it, it seems to me that it seems to me that the, that the biggest issue with Jethro Tull was was the the army of naysaying critics um, and not your audience. Your audience was uh, loyal as as can be. They're still loyal to uh, to to the sound and and to each of you uh, as soloists. Um, but the, so I, I, I guess I guess I'll I'll end that part of this conversation here and say how does it feel to, to outlive all those critics <laughs> yeah well, you, the, the, we, we never took it to heart yeah like yeah supposed supposedly historically we did uh, uh, the, the most of that jethro tell at war with the critics was a, a manufactured promo stunt from the record company yeah and to be honest if if you my our mantra was: if you believe that the bad reviews, uh, sorry, if you 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 can't b 
believe the good reviews yep. And, yep. and ignore the bad reviews. They're all the same. So, you know, everybody, uh, it didn't bother us. We really, it bounced off us completely. We, we had a lot of self-belief and and it would, would have taken, we were a lot stronger yeah. than being hurt and upset by uh, a critic who didn't like our music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true of, of, of most musicians and artists. Everybody wants a pat on the back, but then if you get a stinker, well, you, you know, you, you've got to read it and, and try and learn from it if, if there's something to learn. If there's some, if there's some merit to it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, if, if, if it's constructive, yeah you, yeah, you have to believe both sides. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't take either one seriously. If, if, if you just believe all the good ones, you become a, a huge ego monster. But I think it says a lot for you guys that you were confident enough in your in your brand and in your vision um, that you weren't you weren't bouncing around trying to a- appeal or appease the critics. No, no, yeah. no. But, uh, yeah. no. I mean, it's, it's impossible to. Yeah. Because, uh, no, I mean, who who are you appeasing? Which yeah. one? Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. one? Yeah. Say that's what we need to do. Yeah. No, it, it, we totally ignored it. Uh, the, the the press didn't think so, but um, the record company put it out that we were almost going to retire because yeah. of it. Rubbish. Yeah. Um, you you've been wonderful, Afraid. gracious, gracious with your time. Uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up here very quickly. Uh, I've had mm. a number of young artists on this podcast. I'd love a bit of wisdom because um, because I, I view you as as sort of a teacher um, as well. I'd love to get a little bit of wisdom uh, about marketing and the modern music business. You told Guitar Magazine back in 2021, it's no longer viable to have an engineer and pay him $200 an hour because at the end of it, you'll probably get paid $2 an hour. Uh, selling CDs and such, it doesn't work anymore. How do you make money in the music business, Martin? <laughs> you're asking me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you're asking the wrong person. Um, th- th- we we sell CDs, okay? Because um, our market is uh, of a generation where they they want to hold something that actually has music on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, same. Well, so so first first of all, I'd say I'd say you have to put out great music. And all of your all of your single uh, all of your solo CDs are exemplary. And Road Less Traveled is one of my all time favorite albums. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's the end result. Yeah, uh, it's a tangible end result to um, what I do. I write music, I arrange it, I record it, I have people come in, uh, and and that that's the end result. I, I want an end result. I, I don't want. Um, a, a downloadable link to be w- what I show people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is what I've done. Uh, I'm I'm just of a generation where I want to look at something. I want to hold something, mm-hmm. a vinyl, and and I buy other people's CDs. I mean, it, it's it's a disappearing market, but I'm going to hang on to it as long as I can. And and we you know we we, we do serious marketing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, t-shirts hats, uh, just things that, that are good quality. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, I'm, I'm always, I, I don't want to 
cheat people. I mean, I, well, I don't. Mm-hmm. But everything I do has to be the best. Mm-hmm. And, and and as long as that, that's your doctrine, that then it's fine. Um, but how to make money, you know, it, it's it's bits from here and there, um, some from touring, some from merchandising, mm-hmm. some from online, CD sales, uh, and then publishing a little bit here. That there's no one cash cow. Yeah, it's, uh, you, 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 it all comes in in small amounts from a lot of different sources, and I have no idea how to make <laughs> money. <laughs> I have no uh, idea. I, I I know young kids who who don't make any money at all. They go on tour, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I, and I ask them, "How do you do it? Uh, we don't. We lose money." I say, "Well, well I, I, how does it work?" Well, we try and sell enough T-shirts to pay for the touring. I mean, it, it's dreadful. Yeah, you know, I I, I was uh, was talking with with Frank Aral, uh from Point Out Pondering. They started busking on the street in uh, in Waikiki uh, in Hawaii, uh, and then just decided they were going to sell everything and stool around the United States in a beat up old van and a and a and a rusting old Mustang, uh, and uh, and you know slowly slowly made their way and and through some uh, some fortuitous uh, friendships uh, they they got a record deal and then uh, and then you know kind of kind of marched that on up. Um, but you know they were they were talking about sleeping in the van like sardines and you know making seventeen dollars a day and hustling for coffee and change and it's, I think I think there's a there's a dedication that comes along with with being a musician right that you need to and and any art really because if if you think you're gonna get if you think you're gonna get rich doing doing anything artistic you're in it for the wrong reasons right. Yeah, well, there's there's no easy money. Yeah, but there is. But, yeah, but it's it's not what a musician does. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It's, it, nothing's changed. We we, we were sleeping yeah. in vans in the in the 1960s. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's just what you know. But but you you do it for because you love it. Indeed, and, and you don't take it too seriously. I spoke with this uh, with this young man uh, from Houston, Texas, uh, Clay Melton, who has something of a uh, Joe Bonamassa power and style to him uh, in, in his emerging style. He's learned the blues progressions and invokes names like B.B. King and Robin Trower as inspiration. Um, what advice would you give Clay about surviving or, or having a long successful career in music and maybe we just did yeah well you know i, I don't know there's there's no magic formula yeah and, and, and i i would hate to tell somebody um it's a territory that that it, i don't know i really don't know i'm struggling i'm struggling to get to the next level uh, mm-hmm. i'm not a successful musician because uh, if I play to five hundred people, I want to play to a thousand people a night. Sure. I play to a thousand people a night. I want to play to two thousand. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm in exactly the same boat. Um, I've, maybe I've got a style that's mine, but I've got no idea how I got it or why I have it. It's just years and years and years of playing, and and then a style emerges from mm-hmm. all of that music. 
I don't think you you can a, adopt a style in 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 a, a short period yeah. and be recognisable. Yeah. Uh, same as Joe Bonamassi, he, he's sort of recognisable now. Yeah, for years he wasn't. Well, yeah, uh, for years and years, yeah. And there's a, a lot of players. I mean, Jeff Beck is recognisable, was, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it, it's it's. But it's, it's it's a long process. I don't have any advice because um, I'm in the same boat, you know, and, and, and they might say, well, no, you know, I'm a successful mus- musician, but no, I'm a working musician. I have to pay a band and crew. I have to get airfares. I have to find hotels within a budget because we can't, af- we, like, we play yeah. New York. We can't afford to stay in New York. Nobody and, can. So <laughs> Nobody can afford to stay in New York. No, yeah. I'm not because no, I'd like to do the gig in yeah. New York at Sony Hall and stay across the road in the Marriott. Yeah. And, and, and I can't afford $450 a night for a hotel. Oh, God. So, no, I, I'm, I, I'd like to know as well. Maybe, so, maybe, I, I, maybe I the best advice things. is maybe the best advice is stay hungry, but have something to eat. Yes. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if, if there was a formula, but then um, everybody would do it, and yeah. it would be in a perfect world. But well, you know, not- if if you remember, if you remember during during COVID, uh, so so we were talking uh, on the radio show. We stayed uh, we stayed on the air. We were talking theater every week, even though all the theaters were closed. And but but then then through that, some theaters began to um, began to innovate, and and so we would talk about those those innovations. And so I, I think there's, there's a, an importance in, even if there isn't one answer, even if there isn't an obvious answer that people keep talking about what works for them, what, what they're attempting, what they're trying, and hopefully somebody will, will pick up on some aspect of that and it'll work for them. Right. Uh, Maybe you know, I I don't know the answers. I, yeah. I, do, yeah. I do. Yeah. I do what I do for better or worse, and and I, and I don't want to change. Uh, I I like what I do. Indeed. Somebody said we've you know I mean I, a lot of people say you should do a blues album. I don't want to do a blues album. Um, and they say well you'll make a, a huge amount of money. You know, look at Joe Bonamassa. Um, well, I, I don't sing and I don't want to play the blues. Well, I would argue, based on our previous conversations, Martin, uh, that everything you do is somewhat of a blues album. But yeah, the blues is in everything. <laughs> That's right. But, you, you know, a, a pure, I'm, I'm not a, a yeah, yeah. Wayne Shepherd or, a, a, you know, all, all those. Uh, um, Savoy Brown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, I, I, I want a broader scope. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm I'm not going to change. Uh, and and I would argue that you shouldn't, brother. Uh, on Friday, June 9th, Martin Barr, the legendary guitar player for the Penny Peeps, but also Jethro Tull, performs the history of Jethro Tull at the Desplaines Theater in Desplaines, Illinois, uh, which again is just a stone's throw from uh, from Chicago and where I live. Uh, Martin's website, and it's almost almost on my birthday, man. Uh, Martin's website is martinbar.com, and I will post links to that and the tour in the notes below. Absolutely 
brilliant as always, mate. Uh, All right, you're welcome. Thank you again for taking the time out of your evening, and and please give my apologies for for holding you uh, a little bit too long to your wife. Tell my wife. There you go. (laughs) All right, brother. Cheers, mate. Take care. You too. Be well. thank my guest Martin Barr and especially his wife for allowing us to speak with him tonight Uh, also thank you for listening please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share it for updates on future guests and programs a link to Martin and to all of our guests are in the notes below for playtime I'm W.C. Turk he sees his children jumping off one by one His woman and his best friend In bed and having fun Oh, it's crawling down the corridor On his hands and knees Oh, Charlie stole the handle And the train and won't stop going No way to slow down <laughs> Yeah Slow down.